Welcome to another episode of The Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This is a special episode because I talked to my ex-therapist. My therapist of about two years came over and she let me turn the couch around on her and ask her some questions. I tried to get personal. I tried to become the therapist. Uh, I don't think I really accomplished it. She was too professional for me. But uh, it was a really great interview, and uh, I think you're definitely going to get something out of it, and I know I did. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a filmmaker, musician, podcaster, voiceover artist, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments, because they have an app that will make your life easier. Okay, check out the show notes in the episode. There's links there, information. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it so you don't have to know when the new one's coming. I'm ready. (laughs) All right, good. Um, So this is kind of exciting. Candace Crawford, my former therapist, is here. You know... So much, of, you know more about me than almost anybody on this earth. Yeah, we we were working together for a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, you came and shared a lot of things. So. I sure did. <laughs> I'm bound by ethical guidelines that I can't share anything here. So at least you don't have to worry about that. You're so. not going to divulge it here right. on this podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do feel very uh, vulnerable. It's a weird combination of vulnerable and safe with you here as a guest. I feel safe too. I feel fun. I mean, because even being a therapist, you have, and coming on like a, a platform like this, like you have to be very, very careful yeah. what you say. But knowing you and just kind of knowing what you're doing with this podcast, I do feel safe as well. Okay, you know, I'm good. excited. Oh, you have a good radio voice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, as my former therapist, mm-hmm. Do you evaluate? Don't worry, we're going to get to you. This is that's this, fine. This isn't yeah. all gonna <laughs> that's fine. I'm excited. Yeah, ask any questions. Ask okay. away. Um, do you kind of do a final evaluation? Are you like, oh, this person needs to go to somebody else? Yeah, absolutely. So my evaluations kind of take place throughout, like the therapeutic experience. So in the very beginning, I do like a really intense um, evaluation. Um, and throughout the time that I'm with my clients, I make sure that um, what if their needs are being met, you know, I kind of review like certain goals, certain objectives that we are on track to a- attaining. Yeah, I and, like that you did that because it was a bit like maybe life coachy a mm-hmm, bit because mm-hmm. it was kind of like our actual goals. And at the beginning, you gave me homework assignments, mm-hmm. which I never did. <laughs> And I kind of love that you never followed up and asked me about them. I think you did once, and then you, maybe you saw that I wasn't right. Doing it. And so, um, I my approach is a little bit different with each client. So I can tell some people who need more engagement that way, as far as like homework and stuff is concerned, and um, 
I try to follow up to see if that it works for them. Some people really, really dislike it. Yeah. Um, some people have their own style um, as far like the clients are concerned. And so I try to like meet them where they're at. And that's my type of therapeutic approach is to meet my clients where they are. Right. So, yeah, I know you. I would be like, let's consider this. And then, you know, it might not be <laughs> something that you want to do. I did think about it. Mm-hmm. And it Which was, is fine. And I, I appreciate that, that exploration. Yeah. Yeah. And it was helpful. But I didn't, I don't know, just something about writing stuff down felt yeah. like homework to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my own block with right, Scholastic. Right. Right. And so some people really just don't enjoy that. And so I don't push that, you know? Yeah. And I tell people that they are free to let me know what works for them and what doesn't. So that way, because I don't want to put my own, you know, um, whatever. I'm, I don't want to push anything on them. So I kind of let them tell me what they need from me. Right. We're going to get to your history. Okay. Um, first, I'm curious what made you want to become. A th- well, first of all, you have a master's from NYU. I do. You're I'm, getting a PhD. I'm getting a PhD. So my master's is in counseling. Um, my PhD will also be in counseling slash counselor education. So my ultimate goal is to be um, a faculty member. So I'll be in academia teaching counseling. So I do that a little bit now as an adjunct at certain universities. Because you don't um, want to deal with crazy people like me. Oh, no, no, no. That is not <laughs> the case. First of all, you're not crazy. <laughs> Second of all, I really do appreciate the clinical work, but I also do appreciate the, the teaching aspect of it as well. Like, I think it's so exhilarating you know to kind of see other people like learn how to be able to counsel clients as well is that like teaching in a classroom yes okay yes so like for instance this summer like i have a syllabus that i need to prepare because i will be teaching this summer um i have an internship class that i'll be teaching do you like doing is that more rewarding than talking to people one-on-one you know i think that they're a little bit different so i can't really say i mean i think about I've been doing the clinical piece for a while now and I really, really enjoy that. That literally is my passion. Mm -hmm. It is my passion and I love it. I love working with people. Um, and it's nice to also be in front of the classroom and see other people have the same passion as I do. So it's it's rewarding in different ways. So I can't really compare the two. I could sense it right here that you're, it's great to see someone passionate about something. Yeah. I mean, I love, I was actually thinking about this the other day, um, because I'm also, um, in the interim, I'm serving as a program coordinator at a um, local hospital. And so I just recognize that the program coordination part of it is definitely not as passionate. I'm not as passionate about it as I am about the clinical piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what I like. I was like, I just love being with my clients. I just love sitting across from my clients and, you know, talking to them and, you know, really just engaging with them and seeing their growth. How many clients do you see at one time? Ooh, that's a hard question to answer. It, it depends on like if I'm working full time clinically or part time. I ask because it must be so hard to keep track of all the people in everyone's life. Thank God for documentation. <laughs> yeah, you must have wrote down. Every, yeah. All right, this is Gary's. This is Gary's. Yeah, thank God for documentation because I have sometimes I do have to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to write notes as soon as the session is over. It might take a, a couple of days sometimes to kind of um, write those notes or maybe like 24 hours or so. You're like James Comey. You're writing memos yeah. right after. Yeah, I have to <laughs> because if I forget, you know, then I will be doing a disservice to not only myself, but also to my clients. So I try to make sure that I document everything. So it's not only for, let's say, insurance purposes, right? Because mm. um, we do have to submit notes to insur- insurances to get reimbursed. 
but also for my purpose, you know. You do. You have to submit. How personal are the notes that you have to submit? So that is um, a really great question, and this is something that I definitely teach my students Thank when you. I do <laughs> work with them. <laughs> yes, for your own benefit too. And I actually I try to tell my clients this too. Um, the notes there are two different types of notes. Like those, there are notes that you have to submit to um, insurances. There are notes that you kind of keep um, for the client's record. And those notes should be as short as possible. Like, that's how I see it. I tell my clients. The notes that go to the insurance company. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Because, you know, if I was to ever be subpoenaed by whatever. Well, right. You know, you want to make sure that whatever is stated in court, like, you know, this therapist wrote this, you know, I don't want to, you know, have my client be offended by any um, by anything or kind of put in a situation that wasn't necessary for me to put them in. So I focus in the notes, particularly I focus on what the goals that we're trying to achieve, you know, like the overall thing that we might have talked about. And then like what I did in that um, that session to make sure that 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 client is meeting their goals and how they responded to that. I'm curious now, is there certain legal things? Like, obviously, if someone says that they murdered someone, you have to go to the police. Right. So there are certain things that I am obligated and ethically, ethically obligated to report. So mm-hmm. if a client says that they want to hurt themselves or someone else, those are things that I do have to report. Like, those are things that I unfortunately cannot keep to myself. Right. Um, there's lots of laws. There's lots of things that have happened in history that have prevented counselors and, and other helping professionals from keeping that to themselves. What if the what if your client is just telling you that they have thoughts? They have thoughts of wanting to hurt someone. They never have, mm-hmm. but they have thoughts of it, and then they get arrested for either assaulting someone or even murder. Mm-hmm. Is that when you would get subpoenaed? Possibly, yeah. And you want to document that if someone said that, that you provided some type of intervention or you talked to someone and, you know, or referred them someplace. You want to have that documentation because I could be, you know, I can put myself in a position that I don't want to be in either, you know, if I don't say that. Right. Because they might come at you saying, like, maybe he confessed to you. you Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't do anything about it. Then, you know, that's a problem. Right. So (laughs) it's a protection for you. Exactly. I could lose my license if I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. report it. Okay, I'm going to ask you a two-parter. Well, I'm curious, now that you're teaching, mm-hmm. is there a certain similarity in the people that you see that want to become therapists? And what made you want to become a therapist? Okay. Yeah. As a, like, as a professor, I see a lot of perfectionists, you know, mm. um, people who want to, be, like, they want to save the world. Uh-huh. And I tell them that you're not. Right. <laughs> you're unfortunately you're not. Um, and you might people, be helping. Right. Right. And sometimes it's, I, I try to. I don't want to say break them down, but I try to kind of let them recognize and be real that you know we're not going to save quote unquote save everyone. Manage your expectations exactly yeah. because it could be very difficult because you'll be forcing a lot of things if you work with clients and thinking that you're going to save every person. And you also kind of have to conserve some sort of your energy. Oh, absolutely. Right. If you're trying to save the world through each and every one of your clients. Absolutely. And I I definitely believe in planting seeds. Mm -hmm. So I know that there are clients that I've worked with who I've I've said one thing and they won't hear it. Like they won't hear me. They will, you know, deflect. They will do everything to kind of avoid everything that I'm saying. And then I'll either hear we'll continue to work together for years down the road. And then they'll be like, Oh, remember that one thing you said? And I'm like, 
oh, now you <laughs> right. now you remember. And so, you know, I have to remember that sometimes they, it's not going to happen in the moment. And so that's something that I do um, teach my students to kind of recognize that, you know, you can plant seeds and it might not show up or manifest when you're working with them. It could be some some day down the line, you know, mm-hmm. that it comes out that, you know, they'll really be like, oh, my therapist told me this and this is what's going to help me kind of manage and navigate through this. Are you kind of a perfectionist? Um, personally, no. In your personal life? <laughs> my personal life, I am absolutely not a perfectionist. Uh-huh. Um, in my professional life, I try to be, mm-hmm. you know, I, but at the same time, try to be as real as possible to recognize that there are certain things that might not be perfect. But, you know, especially when you have, you're working with clients and like they're divulging so much and they're, they're they are vulnerable, right. you know, you have a lot of emotions, you know right at stake and so you i do try to be as perfect as possible when it comes to that because otherwise i would be again being doing a disservice what would that look like though trying to be as perfect as possible someone's super emotional of course you want to be empathetic towards them absolutely but you have other clients to see you can't Mm -hmm. drain yourself with one Mm -hmm. Absolutely. how, how do you find the line of empathy so that's something that I try to stress with my clients and I, I'm hoping that I stress with you and I was working with you that again, like I lo- I enjoy working with you, but I try to set boundaries and I think boundaries are super important and that's, you know, how you can kind of manage that empathy and manage like, you know, a, being a perfectionist saying this is not something that we might be able to accomplish today or even tomorrow, mm-hmm. but this is something that we can continue to process. Um, and so, and then saying like there's we can kind of talk about it in different ways and there's other people that might I have to you know serve and kind of you know work with as well. Right. Well, lucky for you, I keep my emotions all balled up. <laughs> but <laughs> if you have a client that's just your tears are streaming and mm-hmm. they're bawling and crying and mm-hmm. you obviously don't want to stand there sit there stoically like a monster. Sure. So where do you find the line? And you obviously you have some boundaries up because mm-hmm. you can't be overly empathetic mm-hmm. or you'd be exhausted. Mm-hmm. So where do you find the line of giving them compassion and saving some for yourself and and your other clients? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think I just try to be as empathic as I professionally can, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, that's actually a really good question, Gary. I'm not sure if I can answer that as clearly as I would like. Um, but trying to give all that I can. And there are days when I feel more emotionally exhausted than others. Yeah. Right. And so I make sure that, and I, I've told this to you several times as well. I practice a lot of self-care yeah. um, and I encourage self-care of my clients as well. So I just try to give as much as I can in that session. Um, you know, my clients know that my sessions are 45 to 50 minutes long. And so we do all that we can in that short period of time. You ever, you ever get someone just like keep starting a new yeah, thread? All the time. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Why do you think sometimes I've probably been a few minutes late for your session because yeah. you know I'm trying to kind of um, tie up the end of the session. Mm-hmm. It can be difficult, but you know as time goes on and as I continue to work with certain clients, they do get the hint. <laughs> they is, do know. Is there a reason they're 45, 50 minutes? Um, that's what most of the times. That's what insurance reimburses. Okay. Um, what if you do? What if I wanted to do a ninety minute session? It's possible. Yeah. Okay, because sometimes I feel it really depends on the session sure. and, and what's going on and what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. But sometimes I feel like right about 45, I'm getting to the sweet spot and mm-hmm. it's starting to come up. It's true, yeah. And it's so interesting and because there's like this running joke amongst like helping professionals or amongst clinicians is that the last few minutes of session is when you get like all the nitty gritty and you can't even do 
anything because you're literally, you know, stuck and out of time and your next client is outside. Right. It happens all the time. Yeah. People will drop like bombs that I've never even heard them say before in the last five minutes. And I'm like, we need to process this, but we have no more time. That could be a combination of they're getting warmed up. Sure. It can be a combination of getting warmed up, but also not really wanting to talk about that. And they, knowing it's ending. Yeah. Yeah. They can say whatever they want to say and like, okay, it's time for me to walk out the door. Right. And we don't, and hoping that I'll forget. <laughs> when you have a particularly exhausting uh, afternoon, mm-hmm. what do you do to, for, for the self-care? Yeah. So I. Go home and cry on a pillow? You know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I think I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've always been that person that when it depends on like the settings that I've worked in, but I've gotten in my car and I will turn my music all the way up, mm-hmm. all the way up. And I would tell people that if you saw me driving on the road, you wouldn't believe that I was a, a therapist because uh, I'm like in the in my car with my head bobbing, screaming at the top of my lungs. Sad like, music or upbeat? No, no, no. A lot of upbeat music. Okay. A lot of upbeat music. Um, and one thing that I do when I do teach, I tell, you know, my students that they have to... Um, do something that really trans- helps them to transition into the next role that they're about to do. Because a lot of students are students and they're counselors and we're all like family members and we're friends and everything like that. And right. so we can't be in the same role when we, you know, or have the same type of energy when we go to a new role. And so I say you have to do something different to really mark the the, tra- the transition, that switch. Yeah. So for me, like if I'm leaving... Like a ritual. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if I'm leaving the office and you, I'm a clinician, what am I going to do to make sure that now I'm transitioning into a friend mode or you know a sister mode or you know something like that a partner mode like what am I doing do you have a ritual for each mode I don't (laughs) that's a good question no I don't have a ritual sometimes Uh it's like okay I'm gonna go home and take a shower and just like you know change into something completely different right or like I said just getting in the car and you know yelling and screaming and singing to whatever Mm -hmm. um it really just looks different depending on the day. There is no particular ritual for me, but I do make sure that I'm doing something to kind of have some distinct like change. Right. I go back and forth on this. And okay, so if you're feeling sad, sure. Do you think it's best to listen to sad music and move the sadness through, or listen to something that's very upbeat so you just change your mood? It, it's going to depend on the person. It really is. And uh-huh. I think it's going to depend on the, the type of sadness because there are different levels of sadness. Mm. You know, it's not all the same type of sadness. Sometimes you need to be present in that sadness. And so I do encourage sometimes being present because a lot of people try to avoid that. Right. Um, I did the opposite when I was coming, when I was on my way to your to session with you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'd put on really melancholy music like, <laughs> like Elliot Smith or like something really kind of depressing. And then it just puts me in that mood. So I kind of like opening the valve a little okay. bit. Okay. So I can get the most out of my 45 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. That's interesting to know. And I promise we won't turn this podcast into another session because <laughs> I do have some questions, but we won't go to that. Oh, no, but, please. No, no, no. I'm not paying be- for this one. <laughs> Yeah. That's why I have you here. I just wanted another free, a free session. session. Yeah. Um, no, I think it all depends. Like some people really do need to kind of move from that sadness, mm-hmm. um, especially again, depending on what is like in front of them as far as their tasks are concerned. Um, you could ask me anything, by the way. 
Okay. Totally. I don't, I don't even Feel know what kind of questions <laughs> to ask. Yeah. If, if there's some, I divulge a lot on this podcast, mm-hmm. and if there's something I don't want to divulge, I'll skirt it. So don't yeah. worry. I'm, I think there's a part of me that's just very cautious about what I ask, and that this doesn't turn into a session. Granted, I do know that you know you are divulge a lot, but just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. this is me setting my boundaries yeah. too, right? Yeah. So yeah. Well, you don't want this to turn. You're not getting paid for this. I know. I know. <laughs> So what do you think made you want to become sure. a therapist? Sure, yeah. So, See that? I'm keeping us on track. Exactly, you did. Because I remember that question and I forgot to answer it. Um, so I have always just had this knack, I feel, of like just um, really engaging and like really connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those weird p- cliche things where people say, I just know from a little girl that this is what I wanted to do. But it's really true. Like that's what some like something just being able to talk. I remember seeing friends sad and like crying and saying, well, let's think about this <laughs> or whatever. And I was reading my uncle's psychology books at like when I was in seventh or eighth grade, wow. you know, his like college psychology books. So I knew it was something that I really wanted to do. And every like every time I thought about my future, I'd really just envision sitting on that couch or sat, or having my clients sit across from me on that couch and just talking in that type of setting. Did people always tell you you were a good listener? Yeah. And then I just realized like I was what you would describe like an empath. So I would really take on what people, mm. you know, had and like, you know, really be able to kind of process it with them. So, yeah, it's just it's just been something that's been um somewhat natural and some something that i just really enjoyed doing yeah. yeah yeah i get that a lot especially with this podcast people be like wow i can't believe i just told you all that <laughs> and i've been told a lot that people people tell me a lot on this podcast that i'd make a good therapist yeah don't trick me though don't get me to say all my secrets now <laughs> that's why i have you here <laughs> i'm turning the couch around <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's actually this has been something that I've been pursuing and just been feeling for such a long time. So the setting, you know, in which we were working in, mm-hmm. literally, it didn't matter how many clients I was seeing. Like, I loved it. I loved every moment. You of must it. have gotten exhausted. If yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like it is exhausting. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I tell you, hey, this weekend I can't work, you know, and, and mm. that was weekends that I would have to focus on, you know, me and making yep. sure that I was taking care of myself. So that way I could be a better therapist for you because right. just being exhausted is not beneficial like i'm you i'm you're going to see it if i'm going to be really tired and everything like that i'm going to yeah. be like struggling to get through sessions and that's not fair to you yeah i had another i think he was a psychotherapist on mm-hmm. here and he was telling he called it compassion fatigue mm-hmm. that he'd get compassion fatigue all the time yeah it. yeah it's real mm-hmm. it's, especially if you've been in the field for so long and i mean i'm I would I wouldn't say that I've been in the field for so long, but I've been you know doing this for about seven eight years now. Yeah, yeah, about, that's a good about, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's 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 a long time to kind of be doing this type of work. Yeah. So what, I do have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. What, you ever get like callous fatigue if someone thinks that they have really big problems and you're just sitting there? Like, These are not problems. You're just not a grateful. You're not. You don't know how to express gratitude. No, because I see, I literally, I, I, I feel like I've talked about this with you before as far as cognitive empathy. Mm. So I literally kind of, like I said, I meet my clients where they are. Like, why are they feeling this way? It obviously is going to look different for someone else and someone else is not going to have these same issues and um, focusing on these same concerns. But p- for this particular person, this is the, this is why they're feeling this way. 
I can understand this because they've gone through X, Y, or Z, or they haven't experienced the world in this type of way. So that way I can say that does bother them. That's big and that's huge for them. So do you think it's just all relative? Like it's if, all relative. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm super unhealthy, I don't have stage three cancer or something mm -hmm. and my pain level, not physical pain, but emotional mm -hmm. pain is like a seven mm -hmm. and someone's got a pretty good life, but you know, they didn't get the job they wanted mm -hmm. and they're experiencing also a seven. Mm -hmm. You just think it's the same. It's you just treat it like they're all sevens. I, well, I treat it like how they want it to be treated. Right. So like if they even if they're if they're, the pain level is a little bit, it might look different. Right. Mm -hmm, yeah. I treat it for how however I see it, however they present it to me. Because that's real to them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because I, I would not be doing my job if I invalidated my clients by saying, like, come on now, that is not a real problem. Well, right. Of course, you couldn't say that. Right. But right. inside your mind, you're like, oh, my God, shut up. Not really. No, <laughs> I really, I really, I, I this and I, this is why I feel like I really enjoy my job, <laughs> uh, enjoy the work that I do, because I'm know, really believing you right now. This is <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to like get me to say something else no i really i it's funny because again all my clients that i that come in to see me all are facing something completely different you right. know completely it's really interesting and yeah it's just i i treat them how they and i validate them because i think that it, they deserve that right so as a little kid you always wanted to be a psychologist yeah yeah. Now, what's the difference? Why psychologist, psychotherapist, psychiatrist? So, so I'm not a psychologist, um, but I am what you would also call a psychotherapist. Okay. My credentials, I am a licensed mental health counselor. So there's so many different titles for like all but the same type of... You have an acronym, LMHC. Yes. LMHC, yes. A licensed <laughs> mental health counselor, um, which is equivalent to like in this state of new york oh, excuse me new jersey is called an lpc which is the same thing it's a licensed professional counselor it's the same thing okay. but then you also have your social workers and you have your clinical psychologists and your counseling psychologists and generally we're all coming from like the same type of vein um we have similarly like different trainings mm -hmm. um and different ways that we kind of like see things as far as like concerns or um or different issues are concerned so it would take me a long time to try to explain on this podcast all the differences. So, like, yeah. well, I, I, had, I had a therapist, uh, a former th uh, therapist, and she was, I think, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she would look at my hands a lot when I was talking. Mm -hmm. And then I asked her about that. I said, I noticed you're kind of like, I could see the wheels turning in mm -hmm. her mind. And she said that's part of her training is to kind of right. read my body language. And that's part of her training. But p social workers, clinical psychologists, licensed mental health counselors can all be trained in cbt too so that's like, what it is yeah. cbt mm -hmm, yes mm -hmm. yeah. and they actually give a lot of homework too so i wonder if you did her homework <laughs> probably the same she didn't give me much homework actually yeah. i think she started to and then i never i would think about it but i have a weird relationship with scholastic things uh, you i know you're more like creative and you know. yeah exactly <laughs> i get it um yes yeah, so it's really there's such there are such fine lines between each of these um, clinicians, I guess you would say. Like, mm -hmm. we, there, there are so many different genres. Yeah, and there's a lot of similarities, you mm -hmm. know. So it's really hard to kind of like pinpoint pinpoint the differences between so us all. Tell me what yours is again. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Okay, so is there is that a branch? So. Are you also looking at people's hands? So. 
I'm going to try to figure out how I can say this or like kind of put this. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I can be trained in CBT, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, that, cause that's a therapeutic a- approach. That is someone's like, um, foundation. And so you, we can all have that same type of foundation. My foundation, I'm more of a person centered and reality therapist. Um, like I draw from those tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can all be trained in these different things, but social work and counseling and psychology are literally all kind of like an, under the same umbrella, right. more or less. Yeah. I hope that answered it. I know it's really, I, I, if you would have told me, I would have prepared myself with more like uh-huh. worksheets because they're literally like worksheets. Uh, oh, kind if of I saw worksheets, I would have just <laughs> went into a panic. <laughs> it, but it would probably <laughs> explain it a lot better than what I'm doing right now. So I'm actually kind of feeling like, you know, <laughs> really bad at explaining I, this. I have noticed from doing this podcast, um, if I'm talking to someone and they're getting very emotional mm-hmm. and I see them kind of hitting a wall where they're kind of locking up, mm-hmm. if I say something funny and I'm able to make them laugh, mm-hmm. It kind of changes the subject for a minute, mm-hmm. but then it opens them up and they relax, sure. and then I can get back to it. Sure. And then I get them to go further. Sure. And I was thinking maybe comedy has maybe just being a little funny can help. Absolutely, with that. and that's part of like your your skill set. You mm-hmm. know, I love to use humor, and we've laughed several times. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I love to use humor appropriately because again, I know some clients that really really wouldn't respond well to my humor. Um, if I use like the same type of humor I might have used with you, right? You know, so I I I really enjoy using humor, and I think that because it, it does allow for that relaxation. You know, you know me. I'm a I explain this in everything that I do. I'm a very laid back person. I'm a laid back um, professor. I'm a laid back counselor. All of the above, and so you know, I just try to make sure that people are very very comfortable when they're working with me. Because if they're not, then how can I get to know them? Right. You know? Yeah. And what do you do when you feel like someone's just locked up and they can't open up? Oh boy. Yeah. Um, I, I generally kind of put it back on them and I ask them, you know, what's important for them to kind of like get out of working with me or get out of working in therapy. What are they looking to get yeah, out exactly. of Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, because you know, if they're locked up, then I'm going to be sitting there kind of like probing at someone who's not willing to open up. So I kind of say, well, then what, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. You know? And so we kind of work on what their needs are instead of me trying to create their needs and work on their needs that I think that they need to work on. You ever feel like you're pushing someone too hard and they're about to have a nervous breakdown? Mm-hmm. And don't worry, it's not me right now. <laughs> No, I don't feel that way. And I think that that is something that I had to had to be trained in yeah. um, to make sure that I can monitor that and observe that when I do feel someone um, reacting in a way that could be detrimental. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that I, I'll watch out for. And then I, again, I, I work with my clients and I, I um, encourage feedback. So I ask them, you know, is this what you're looking for? Um, are you work- willing to kind of like discuss this some more we don't have to address this right now we can kind of put this on on the side burner right now and kind of just work on something else right one of the best things i got was um you don't have to decide right now you could just decide to decide later yeah that kind absolutely of takes the pressure off yeah and that really that really helps a lot of people feel like they have to attack and address everything in the first few sessions and that's mm-hmm. not the case right you ever 
What do you do if you think someone's just straight up lying to you? <laughs> I can't tell you all my secrets, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't worry, I'll never get the credentials <laughs> to actually practice. <laughs> no, I mean you what we i like to call like you know some reality testing you so i'll kind of question them so if they say certain certain things i'll question it's like so you let's just say somebody said i went to the park at nine o'clock and we know that they didn't go to the park so you went to the park at nine o'clock what what was it like for you at that time you know like Uh had you done that before what was that experience like so they would have to kind of double down exactly (laughs) so you know people can kind of get out of their lies by you know me trying to put it back on them to tell me more yeah i mean that's it. that's something you probably studied sociopathic liars <laughs> I, i've had friends that were like that where mm-hmm. i know they were they were just lying about random mm-hmm. stuff but then also for me as a clinician i have to also think about why they have to lie mm-hmm. why they are lying um and figure out how how to see that as a strength perhaps um, How can that be a strength? It, it, I mean, sometimes they use it as a defense mechanism to c- continue to lie. Do you so, think they're they're believing their own lies? Sometimes like it's, it's their tr- it's true to them. Sometimes, yeah, mm. yeah. Sometimes they know it's not true, but it's to avoid something else, right? R- right. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to get political. <laughs> <laughs> we not can today. so easily go there. Not today. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's there's. There's no easy way to kind of look at clients Mm -hmm. and kind of like analyze analyze them. But you have to understand like this is what has worked for them. And why did it work for them? What are they trying to avoid? Or why is it, you know, something that they really do appreciate? What if it didn't work for them? What if Exactly. Then we address that too. It's like, it seems like, you know, this is something that hasn't worked well for you. Have you ever had to call someone out and say? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Because some people are so used to it that it's their comfort zone and people Mm -hmm. are afraid to step out of their comfort zone, even if it's supposed to be, quote unquote, better for them. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, some people like to be depressed because that's what they're used to. Yes. Right. Yeah. and we have to figure out if they're willing to move out of their comfort zone. And so that's something that I kind of like prepare them for because people's always come in and say, I want to be better. I want to feel better. I want to be happy. So then I ask them what that means for them. And if they really are ready to do that, because sometimes they're not. Yeah. That, I mean, that's something I've worked on too, is try to get comfortable outside of my comfort zone. Exactly. It's almost like, you know, NLP, mm-hmm. neurolinguistic program. Mm-hmm. I'll do that to myself where I'm like, Oh, I feel outside of my comfort zone. And then I'm, instead of going into a panic, yeah. I've tried to program myself to be, Oh, I'm outside of my comfort zone. Right. This is good. Right. This is the place of growth. Right. Absolutely. Some people aren't ready to grow. Some people are. And so that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Is that something that could be learned in therapy, you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I talk about it with my clients all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, why is this something that you want to stay here? Like, it seems like you want to stay here. You know, and then I challenged them a little bit, you know. Oh, that must get them if you say that. Oh, yeah. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. And then that's where you sense if they're going to grow or break mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then i i just then i change up my pace if i need to you know if maybe we're moving too fast to get them out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. again one of my goals is to meet my clients where they are you know and figure out where they're really trying to kind of like which direction they're trying to go yeah you ever have a client where you kind of push them and they got mad at you mm-hmm. absolutely well would, would they just lash out 
they all say something like they won't come back or they don't feel like coming back mm-hmm. or and again i will say from the very beginning tell me if there are things that i've said that you like or tell me things that i've said or done that you don't like please mm-hmm. just tell me yeah. you know and some clients feel comfortable enough sometimes i have to um get it out of them because i can say something like it seems like you're really not happy with me right now right and then they'll try to like say like it's not that i'm not happy or like it's not that i'm fresh but they really are and so we talk about it more that's such a great way that you just put it because that's like communication 101 you just say how you feel Mm -hmm. it seems like oh no i guess that's not because you're like it seems like you're not happy with me right now yeah that is how you feel yeah yeah i'm i'm observing that like you're not you're not happy with me you know yeah, so like there's the different ways that I try to put it and challenge my clients. It, yeah. It's really interesting. Sometimes I guess I didn't realize I had all these tools that I use. Yeah, well, I would imagine and you're dealing with so many different kinds of people. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So many like sometimes it could be a day full of like people who are really excited. Sometimes it's like a day full of people who are really down. Mm-hmm. It really depends, yeah. Is there a certain kind of uh person that you're that you'd rather deal with that you'd rather see i mean here in new york you get all kinds of people Uh uh-huh absolutely but i mean i imagine if you were a therapist in like idaho or something it would be a little more Mm -hmm. you know a lot Mm -hmm. of farmers Mm -hmm. my tractor broke (laughs) well i mean i don't think i guess if we're gonna um put it simply and if i'm gonna say it safely i would rather work with people who are willing to come do the work you know right um who are really coming in to kind of seek the help and and really do kind of focus on what they really want to work on and do it you know so yeah that's important to me you ever get a client where they're just not doing the work and you feel like you're having session after session and they're not gaining anything sure and i also just want to you know correct myself and i don't want to say that i don't want to work with people like that who aren't willing to do the work because it's it's challenging and it's fun Mm -hmm. you know yeah um it really it pushes me out of my comfort zone you know to have to be challenged in that way to work with people who are not willing to kind of hear what you have to say and receive it and really act on it Mm -hmm. um but yeah, so I get that a lot. But it's not like I totally dislike it. It's just a challenge. And sometimes, you know, yeah, it's nicer to work with people who want to do that work. Yeah. Do you feel like you take a lot of this into your personal life? I try not to. But yeah. even some of the tools that you have, some of the tactics that you use, you ever have a friend say, hey, I feel like that question is more coming from a place of therapy than Are you friend. kidding? All the time. All the time. Yeah. And because people know, like... It's hard. People don't think that I'm genuine sometimes in being a friend mm. because they think that I'm right coming from a place of therapy. Or sometimes I'll say, okay, I'm actually going to switch into therapist mode right now. Like, is that okay? And You'll some people are that. like, yes, please. Like, I'd rather you be a therapist right now than a friend. And like, obviously, I'm not a quote unquote therapist to them, but I'll utilize skills or question or have questions formulated. You that, turn on the stopwatch. Yeah. Like, All right, you're being billed right now. <laughs> I have told my friends, like, okay, I'm going to bill you later. You know, I'll give you a discount, but no. Um, well, even as a comedian, we get that, too, because if I make a joke to someone, right. they're like, oh, is that a bit? Yeah, right, they think right. It's in- and it's like, can I just be funny, right. you know? <laughs> or can yeah. I just have a really insightful um, point of view or, like, a, a really great question? No, it's just like, oh, you're being your therapist now. So. Right. Mm-hmm. I bet they get a little temperamental or maybe they feel a little wary to talk to you about stuff not really i think i'm i 
I'm thankful for a lot of the mature friends that I have. Yeah. So we're able to kind of like, you know, talk about a lot of things in depth. Mm-hmm. And um, so sometimes if those questions come up that sound pretty therapeutic or clinical, they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's probably a good idea. You tell them, all right, I'm going to put on my therapist. Yeah. Right like, now. okay. Like this, I'm going to, this is going to require some thinking. So you, you ready for it? Okay. Then I'm going to change into therapist Candace right now instead of friend Candace. Right. Or, you know, so, so even from a little, from when you were, you said you were, when you were seven. So, I, I mean, I don't even know the age, but I do know like when I was in seventh or eighth grade, that's okay. when I was like reading about it, highlighting stuff like, actually rolling my eyes at the thought of doing all of that when i was so young well you're always kind of an introspective person where you're wondering why we have these feelings where they come from you know i don't i can't say that i was i think i was more focused on helping others and mm. that as introspective as that could have been i don't think that i that doesn't say that i wasn't introspective but i don't think that was my focus like, why do I feel this way? It was really about why do other people feel this way? How can I help them feel something different? You know, there's the the cliche of a lot of therapists become therapists because they're and they have a lot of mental problems mm-hmm. of their own. Mm-hmm. You do not seem like this at all. But wanting to focus on others could be seen that way of like, mm-hmm. why do you want to focus on others when What am I trying to avoid? Right? Yeah. Like so you of course you can always analyze yourself. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's funny because it's like a there's so many running jokes in like the clinical field, but you know, when you take a a class called psychopathology or abnormal psychology, you're reading through like the DSM and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, I have the DSM. Oh, sorry. The diagnostic statistical manual. Okay. That's where all the disorders like the, you know, your major depressive or your bipolar disorder or PTSD, all those um, disorders come from this manual. Right. Um, so when you're reading the, this manual, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I had, have every single thing. I have everything. (laughs) I have bipolar disorder. I'm also borderline. I, you know, I have all, I'm depressed. I'm also anxious. And I, it's, it's so ridiculous to have to think like that because that's when you become more, um, introspective. Right. Well, probably a lot of people would read that, the DSM and say, oh, I've got elements of that elements. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, we all, I I like to, and this is one of the reasons why I feel like I have to be so laid back, or at least it makes me feel better to be laid back in sessions is because I want people to see me as a human and not someone that's, um, you know, above them. Right. right? And someone that is not the, the controller of their world or like the expert of their world. Right. And that we all have issues, you know, Mm -hmm. most therapists are in therapy or they should be in therapy. Are you in therapy? I am in therapy. Um, and I definitely encourage everyone to be because I think there are so many great things to benefit from therapy. It doesn't mean that you have problems. Right. You know what I mean? It's just maintenance. Exactly. And so like I, you know, go to supervision as well as going to therapy to make sure that my own shit doesn't yeah. come out. And, you know, when I'm working with my clients, Super, you go to supervision and therapy. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Supervision is more about working with the clients, like the client cases that you have, anything that you might be struggling with, right. things that you might um, be doing well with, you can bring that to supervision. So it'll be like a therapy session about your clients right. and you right. as a therapist. Right. And then you also go to therapy to just talk about That's more personal. Personal. Right. Life. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But it does, again, it doesn't mean that things um, are terrible in your life or anything like that you just want to make sure that the things that are going on are not coming out in, in therapy right but they 
inherently do because you're always yourself no matter what. Yeah, and you have to be, but, but the, the difference is what do you do with that, right? Mm-hmm. So this is things that I process in supervision and ser- therapy. What do I do with the things that might be coming through? You mm-hmm. know, Is it helping my client? Is it really interfering with my client? So it, it allows for a lot more introspection and reflection. Right, but those things about you that come out mm-hmm. might actually be the reason some clients want to see you. True. Right? True. We've talked about some things, and I'm like, I don't want my bias to show here, right? Right. And so we talk, we've talked. I mean, I, I address certain things with my clients to say I don't want to, you know, put my own thoughts and views on how you feel or my opinions, right? And to make sure that it's clear that it's, you know, me. What if you, you have know? a client that you just hate them? You just think they're just a bad person, slightly evil, sadistic, or something? Do you just get rid of them? You can get rid of a client, right? If you just think they're an asshole. So you have to be very careful with that because according to like ethical codes, like uh-huh. you can't just get rid of, you know, a client. If you feel like you're not able to genuinely offer the best therapeutic services, then you should refer out. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had a client that I hated. <laughs> All right. I think. (laughs) (laughs) I could see one person pops into your mind right there. (laughs) No, No, I don't have. I I wish I could see who that person was. (laughs) No, I really didn't. I mean, I've had clients who were very rebellious and very um, just were not engaged. And those were difficult. I don't think I hated them. Right. Um, I, you know, and if they didn't, if they weren't a good fit, then I would refer out. Yeah. But after I've utilized all the skills that I have in my toolbox to make sure that I can still continue to work with them. Right. I mean, that must be kind of, I mean, you are getting paid, so it's a job, but also it must be not rewarding if you feel like you're not getting anywhere with someone. And, and that, I mean, that, those are things that you definitely have to bring up in supervision. Like, I feel like I'm not, this is going nowhere. We've been working together for like this long and I feel like this is not yeah. happening. And then you have to realize like who, What's not happening? Is it not happening for me? Is it not happening for that client? And whose is more important, right? Like, am I trying to, again, make this about me? Because I have to be rewarded Mm. and I have to feel good to make Mm -hmm. sure that my client is meeting X, Y, or Z goal? Or, you know, is this working for this client? Is this client gaining in another area? So that's what supervision really helps with, is to to help you see that things might be happening in other ways than the ways that I think they should be happening. Yeah, I equate that to like when I used to teach guitar. Mm -hmm. I had these two students and they just... They would never practice. Mm-hmm. So every week I'd go there and it'd be like this. It was like Groundhogs. They had the same exact lesson. And I would just get them back up to where they were. And then after a while, it's not rewarding for me. And they don't, they seem like they're just doing it as homework. Mm-hmm. But it's still helping because if I didn't come and have a lesson, they would get worse. Right. Right. So you're maintaining just their status quo of where they are, I right. guess. And it, were they okay with that? I mean, their parents were yeah and if you know if they and if they were okay then why can't it be okay with you, you it, know? it wasn't okay with me after a while it's it just it wasn't rewarding and it didn't pay well enough right, so well then, you know <laughs> you got yeah you got to really you know figure out the the cost yeah you got to balance that out <laughs> yeah. so you go to you go to supervision once a week and supervision pers- more so um when it's needed it's a little bit more like as needed so sometimes it's you know once a month or once every other week mm-hmm. um therapy is like a, a little bit more consistent yeah yeah did you do you find do you ever take a long break from treating clients when's the last time you had 
at least a month off. From treating clients? Yeah, from seeing clients. Probably when I became full-time in my PhD program, but mm -hmm. I'm still focusing on counseling and clinical issues. So I'm not sure if that counts. And if that doesn't count, then it hasn't been a time that I've like taken a month off. Well, I would imagine if you're not dealing with someone one-on-one -on -one and their emotions, mm -hmm. it's probably less exhausting. I mean, yeah, except being in a PhD program full-time is still pretty exhausting too. I would imagine. Um, but, um, but in a different way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah, you, you learn about yourself in a different way from being in, you know, in a clinical role versus being um, a full-time PhD student. But, um, yeah, so I don't think I've really taken time off from, like, that much clinical work except for, like, when I first became full-time. Right. Um, and but I missed your... it. I missed it. You did? I did. That's a good sign. Yeah. Like, it was, it was tough because I... I um, quit one job where I was a clinical supervisor and I was overseeing like people doing the clinical work and sometimes meeting with clients doing more clinical work too. And while I was in school focusing on all these clinical issues and how I could teach it and everything like that, I'm like, oh, I just miss being, you know, in front of yeah. clients. It's like being on the streets versus at a desk. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, I miss it. Like I, I missed it. Yeah. When you took that time off and you went, were you were still going to your personal therapy sessions? That time to be personal, I'll give you personal. I was not only because of my schedule didn't allow mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. Because I was wondering if your personal sessions would get more kind of juicy because then you could finally finally focus on your stuff. Oh, I make sure I focus on my stuff all the time. So it really like even even going to therapy now, like I still focus on my things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I focus on that. But you must, I mean, how do you not take on other people's pain and problems? I don't know. I guess at this point, I feel like it might just be a gift. I, I cause I see colleagues who really struggle, you know? Yeah. But again, we are encouraged to make sure that we are going to supervision often and that we are getting into our own therapy and we are communicating with our colleagues. So, mm -hmm. and recognizing that we're not the only ones feeling like this at all. Right. What do you do when you start to, I mean, I imagine you start to see a similar problem with different clients pop up over and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I try to, like, I just got back from a conference this past weekend mm -hmm. So I connect with people who might be presenting on certain issues that might be relevant to the clients that I'm seeing. Um, so for instance, in my private practice, I deal with a lot of women of color and they are all dealing with some sort of trauma. And so it's very interesting. And I think the trauma, it relates like sexual trauma. No. So this is what we would call little T trauma. So like big T traumas, like you're, you know, like you said, sexual trauma or um, like, going to war or having some one right. event some big event that really traumatized you right. whereas little t trauma quote-unquote little t trauma really focus on those things that have kind of like repeatedly happened over time mm. you know messages that you've eternalized and you thought that you're supposed to do this or abide by that and so it's really interesting to see that play out in the women of color that i see and so um i've i go to different com conferences i go to different trainings and things like that to make sure that i'm providing them with the best you know services that i can right you you probably know this but i'm not a woman of color <laughs> so i uh, could not tell. <laughs> would you say there's something like they might i will never experience their little t right 
is that there must be certain problems that are uh, just for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, for instance, one thing that is a common theme is the feeling of um, having to be an emotional support for everyone else or being strong for everyone Mm. and not knowing how to be strong personally. Right for your right. like in your own personal well, life. It's not kind of a female thing in general. I mean, we're not going to generalize too much there, yeah. but like it, but especially with the women of color, where like black women were always expected to kind of like be home in the kitchen and cooking and cleaning after coming home from work, and right. you know, like sometimes it's you know they're coming from single parent homes, and so they had to take on multiple roles and things of that nature. So it, it's a, it's a lot that. The stereotype yeah, of the wise black exactly. woman. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Selfless. And, so, and it and it, yes, and it plays out in different ways, mm-hmm. um, especially in these these clients that I'm seeing now. Why do you think that happens? Is that just how people are raised? Is it the culture, books, yep. movies? Yeah, I, culture is is hands down one of the like the biggest reasons why this is happening. You, you know? just see these images exactly, around. and you take it as true, mm-hmm. right? You don't challenge it. You don't. Um, feel like there's any other way of kind of going about different situations or Mm -hmm. navigating through the world. That is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live and you just don't question it. Right. And so culture has a lot to do with that. Yeah. I mean, obviously culture is always in flux Mm -hmm. and it seems like these days it's like really in flux. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Is that part of uh, the woman in color's sort of issues the me, I don't know if Me Too movement. I, don't, I should probably shouldn't even be talking about the Me Too movement as a male, but I, I actually let's rephrase that. I think you should be talking about the Me Too movement as mm-hmm. a male because it, we don't want to feel like this is only something that are you know that women are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that, and that men can also have um, th- can show their support, right, mm-hmm. or even kind of pose questions so that way they can learn more. So yeah, yeah, don't feel like you can't talk about that, you know. So, but. It's interesting when you talk about the Me Too movement. Um, I, like you said, we don't want to get political yeah. too much. Well, yeah, it's all social. Um, yeah, but when you think about you know so- certain social issues, you know, think about who are like the the faces of these social justice issues, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's you you're not seeing women of color as often, or you're not seeing. Um, persons of the lgbtq community in 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 these you know spaces you know um so we have to think about like the privilege that comes you know into play there yeah yeah it's a lot so i mean again it's a lot that we can kind of probably spend another entire podcast talking about totally yeah but it must be interesting to deal with that kind of stuff with people when the culture is in such a flux right it is yeah because the our, our archetypes are the people we look up to are different now. Uh-huh. Right. I watched it. You ever see It's a Wonderful Life? Yes, It's absolutely. like a classic American movie. Sure. And he just kind of grabs, Jimmy Stewart just grabs her and he won't let her go. Mary, Mary's yeah. grabbing her. And you're like, whoa, he's yeah. up to <laughs> Right, yeah. right. The things that we thought were so okay mm-hmm. have definitely changed. You yeah, know I mean, I mean, I've seen that movie a million times and just Right, and we've year. never, like, we would never question it for a while, right? And yeah. then it's like, wait, but this isn't, this is not the way that things probably should be. Yeah, it's you're right though like as as we shift right mm-hmm. we have to figure and this is and this is another problem that i see in my clients is that they think that everything is black or white mm-hmm. and it isn't no 
And so we have to make sure that we fo- I, f- I help them focus on what works for them, mm-hmm. right? What's going to make them feel comfortable. And it doesn't have to fit into a particular box, you right. know? And so that's something that I really encourage my clients and challenge them on, too, as, as you know, their way of thinking. Maybe asking who their archetypes are. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. and why, right? And why, right? And then thinking about, like, and if it's something that they, you know, really are stuck with, then working with them and being on their side about it, you know? Right. Again, it's about that validation. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Do you think this is kind of the job and role of Hollywood? What do you mean? Like to assign new roles, have people... Of all types and different, I mean, giving a lead to a gay male mm-hmm. in a big Hollywood movie, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So you provide different archetypes and different role models for different people because mm-hmm. we're used to kind of seeing the same thing. Sure, sure, yeah. And you know, you're right. We are used to seeing the same the same thing, and that's why me being a, your your audience members don't know, but I am a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a black woman, and so seeing a black woman in this space sometimes is unheard of because when you think about the psychology field, it was um, constructed by white men, essentially. So it's really interesting to kind of see the the growth of people of color as counselors, as clinicians. Um, And so it's important that there is a lot more representation. And so, you know, I do make sure that I, I'm, I, announce that I am a a black woman and that I am a black therapist. And I see, you know, lots of, you know, people of color in my private practice because they appreciate seeing someone who's, who looks like them. They feel that they could identify with you more. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I was going to, I was thinking about whether to say that or not. And Mm -hmm. then I was, I just out of respect, I was like, maybe I won't because maybe you don't want to be identified as anything except a therapist. I think that's a fair question to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people do say that they only want to be um, identified as X, Y, or Z and not define themselves by race or ethnicity or gender or anything like that. But identifying yourself is that you're basically saying that you do have your own unique Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a lot of my research, um, as far as like being a PhD candidate, um, is about cross-cultural and cross-racial and um, supervision and counseling and things of that nature. Because I think it it does like you, you think about the, the, the unique experiences that these people are coming yeah. with when they come into these these settings. And at the same time, recognizing that you know, just because I look like someone else doesn't mean that I'm going to know their experience, you know, in totality. Right. Like, I, I might be able to relate. I might not, you yep. know? Yeah, because you can come from an inner city or mm-hmm. you can come from some farm somewhere Absolutely. and have a very different experience. Absolutely. And, and, and also just 
with that, I also make sure that I don't exclude. Like, mm-hmm. I don't say that I only work with people of color or only work with women or anything like that. Like, you know, obviously, I think we're quite different. Yeah. <laughs> so and, you know, we we still worked really, really well together. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, for me, it's just really just about building that rapport and just kind of being very true to being a therapist, but a therapist that can like relate to my clients in any setting. It must be a big draw because there, there is a shortage, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because there is this website um, that is called therapy for black girls. Mm-hmm. And so all these black clinicians who are willing to work with black women or black girls have kind of put up their information so that way it's easier for, you know, girls or women to find uh, women of color. Right. And I've gotten a lot of referrals from that um, one website because... Rachel Dolezal? <laughs> <laughs> Again, another podcast for another day. Um, yeah, so like people are really um, interested in seeing people that look like them. Yeah. Do you think that's... I don't know if right or wrong is the correct words to use, but... I don't know. I'm very wary of like tribalism and people going to their own sort of identities. Because mm-hmm. like in my better self, I'm like, we're all just spirits. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just mm-hmm. spirits. We're just people. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's jerks of all races Absolutely. and creeds. And, Absolutely. And there's great people of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes like all this identity politics these days kind of. Sure. I can only, I'm only going to speak from like the therapy side of it. I know. I've been trying to get to the <laughs> Candace person, but you're, you're, you're very professional. I'm good at this. We'll I'm have to you. do another podcast where I talk to <laughs> Candace, the person. Um, yeah, but I, I think, I think what, why is important now for like, let's say this website called Therapy for Black Girls, not necessarily be like, oh, only black girls can be seen by these women or anything like that. But because of when we talked about culture, culturally, you were not encouraged to share your information with anyone as, as people of color. Like you talk about it with your family or you go to church and you talk about it or you go to, you know, whatever religious organization you're a part of and you talk about it there. So that the idea that you say that I'm depressed right. was not received well, right. you know, so and then the idea that you were depressed in, let's say, a black community was definitely not received well. So how are you going to feel comfortable talking about that with, you know, someone of a different race? You can. You know what I mean? Mm. It's really important that to, to know that you can, you know, right. all my therapists have not been people of color um, and I've been able to work effectively with them. And obviously you and I have worked effectively together, but it allows. Would for you the- have preferred that you are seeing a woman of color? Oh, well, first of all, would you, would you prefer that you would personally see a woman? And would you mm. prefer that you'd see a woman of color? Um, I don't think that I think one. I think one of my first preferences is to meet with a licensed mental health counselor. Like, I just want somebody with the same credentials as me. And so I feel like I can relate in that way. So I can't be your therapist. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Not now. Maybe in two years if you want to go to master's, like, get your grad school degree. and uh, then <laughs> I'll sign a piece of paper that says I won't reveal anything. Um, but, yeah, no, I really, that's, like, one of the first things that I look for was just, like, similar the credentials. Cred- credentials. Of course. Um, and it depends on, like, what I might be kind of dealing with if well, what would shape you what shapes you more being a woman or being a woman of color it's a really good question this is getting more personal um th- i think being a woman of color is very important to me 
absolutely hands down <laughs> i give you an a and b and you chose c <laughs> yeah yeah uh-huh <laughs> very professional yeah. of you i'm good at this gary i'm yeah. good at this <laughs> but yeah so i just think i just think that when we talk about identities you know i know a lot of people who would prefer like if they are part of the lgbtq um, community they prefer a therapist who also is part of that i think it's just about the the comfort level whereas like i know and i hope i can say this uh, you know but i know someone like you i think you were very cool with like you know working with whoever as long as you can kind of just relate to them you know yeah i mean i was kind of drawn to you because you came from a different perspective mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you just i mean I, I read your bio and i was like okay she's you know new york mm-hmm. which is good so you've been around the city mm-hmm. which is good and you know you're like kind of the opposite of me which i like mm-hmm. and it I, and it worked you yeah know? some people it might not work that well and you know it just depends i think Again, one one of the clinical things that therapists say is just like it really depends. There is no like like I said, there's no black or white type of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it really depends on people's perspectives, their way of thinking, and how they see the world and everything like that. Do you, do you have to see a therapist as a licensed therapist? No, right? you do not. Have oh, you to. don't have to. No, oh, I thought you did. Mm-mm. It's strongly encouraged. Yeah, out of that, yeah. Not. <laughs> strongly encouraged. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Why like? I just say, like, you know, why wouldn't you if, you know, you know that it can benefit other people? Why? Well, how can it not benefit you? You know? Right. Yeah. I imagine uh, you'll see you, you see mostly people of color right now. In my practice? Yeah. I do. Not because I'm only looking for people of color. It's pe- that's They're drawn to you. They are drawn to me. Yeah. Right. More often than not. But um, I do see different people. Like, I see have a few white clients i have a few latino clients um mm-hmm. i also have some clients who belong to the lgbtq are you fluent in spanish i am okay do you ever do therapy in spanish i do no way yeah. <laughs> oh my god that must be so bizarre yeah and that's that's also an interesting perspective because i'm not a native spanish speaker and like you know what that must be like for my clients when i speak in spanish to them and like maybe i don't understand you know certain things just because i speak speak the language maybe i don't get them as well and so we talk about that those kind of things you just learned it on your own um i when i was an undergrad i double majored in spanish and psychology and then i studied abroad where'd you study in peru oh wow yeah for how long a month so it wasn't that long but you know it was very it was a very immersive like experience but um it was yeah i've been speaking for quite a bit was that one month in peru just like more bet you learn more in that one month than like a year in class i don't know if i could say that no um no i i practiced a lot but i don't think i i, I had already a great solid foundation of like spanish language knowledge but yeah. it really helped me just because their accent was different and there were certain words that i didn't know and there was like a dialect that was related to spanish but wasn't spanish that i kind of learned and picked up and a whole different culture exactly oh yeah. my goodness yeah so it wasn't like i was in like lima or anything i was literally in like the amazon uh-huh. for a month like and i stayed in cities that had no hot water or le- electricity for a while so were you working as a therapist i wasn't no it was more i mean it was because it was still undergrad so you know you're still kind of like oh, right. navigating through like exactly what your core coursework is yeah. but i did have some experiences of like you know just being able to communicate with people you know in different aspects mm-hmm I'm not going to, I hate this question, where do you see yourself in five years? Sure, but, but go ahead. You, 
you want you, right now you're enjoying seeing clients, but you did say before that you also like teaching. Sure. Yeah. So where do I see myself in five years then? Is that the not qu- five years, just in the future okay. in general? Yeah. So hopefully very soon you'll be able to call me Dr. Candace Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to be a full-time faculty member um, in hopefully a university within the tri-state area. Cause I really don't want to go anywhere else. Um, and then also maintaining a, a part-time private practice at the same time. So that way I do get the elements of both cl- doing clinical work as well as, you know, uh, teaching and supervising. Right. Where did you grow up? That's interesting. I grew up in the South. You did? Uh-huh. Where? What state? You don't have to tell me. Yeah, no, no. I grew up in Atlanta, actually. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought so. You thought so. Because I, th- I think you mentioned it once in one of our sessions maybe yeah and i did i hear a little bit of an accent you do every I once never, in a while i people tell me that they really don't hear an accent yeah it's no. it, there's a little bend every once in a well, while Well, let's just say my, the conference that i went to was in atlanta so maybe because i was there just p- this past weekend that uh-huh. maybe i picked up on some some more y'alls and you yeah know? <laughs> yeah so a little little bend little twist there yeah yeah so mm-hmm. how long have you been in new york so I, I moved here um, when I started going to NYU, and I just have been here since then. So it's been about another eight or nine years. Yeah. You see yourself staying in New York? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my goal. But we'll see where the job opportunities, as far as um, full time faculty positions are concerned. NYU, perhaps. Perhaps you never know. Mm-hmm. Cross some fingers for me. I imagine that's pretty uh, competitive. It is a competitive school. Um, yeah, it is. Well, not only is like NYU like a top school, but um, just finding faculty positions already is like in, like in increasingly competitive. Right. Usually professors will just go move somewhere. Yeah, like in the middle of nowhere. And I just, right now, yeah. who's to say what happens in the next few years, but I don't see myself doing that mm-hmm. too often, so... Well, yeah. I didn't really get to talk to you about your personal life. Oh, oh man. <laughs> That's so unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to come back and like... The next time, perhaps. <laughs> as Candace Crawford, the person. The person, yeah. But I try to be as personable as possible. Like, yes. you know, I, I share some things, yeah, you know. You I share some things. Yeah, and you're mm-hmm. very warm and very easy to talk to. I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, and I would highly recommend you to anybody. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. So Shoot you have your you, you have your own private practice. I do. Now. It's in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um in the Riverdale area of the Bronx. Um and you know, I've been doing that for a little while now and it's been going really well. Are you accepting new clients? I I am. Yes, yes. Um probably soon I will not be because it's I'm getting booked pretty You're quickly. You're in demand. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nice, right? Yeah. Um, I am currently, yes. So if you want to visit my website, mm-hmm. it is claritymentalwellness.com. Um, and so you'll find all the information about like the type of um, approaches I use, like my education, my my fees, my, the services I offer, mm-hmm. the insurances I accept, and you know, and tell me if you like the website. I worked really hard on it, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll put that link in the show notes of the episode. Awesome, yeah. awesome, that'd be great. Thanks so much for. Thank you, Gary. I'm you, so glad we did this. You didn't divulge any of my secrets. Not yet. No, I'm joking. I won't. I won't. won't, I'm going to leave three minutes of silence. And then after that, it'll be just you spilling all all the stuff I told you. I would never. I need new clients, right? That's why they have to know that I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs)
<laughs> All right, Gary. Thank you so much thank for having you. me.